Psalm 145, a psalm of ceaseless praise. Ceaseless praise. Let me pray before we look at this psalm. Father God, we do come before you to praise your name, to worship you. Lord, to think now on on praise and to think of, of why you deserve our praise. Lord, I do pray that you would help us to uh, understand this text. Lord, that you would cause it to remind us of why you are worthy of praise, to, to stir our hearts to praise you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, as those who have experience the grace and love of our Savior, we know that he is our primary passion. We who know God, who love God, worship him daily. And that's what Psalm 145 helps us to do. As we're living our lives and as we day to day see the evidence of God's glory everywhere, that spills out in ceaseless praise. As we see God's glory, our reaction is praise. And in order to help us praise God fervently, to give him the worship and the glory that that he deserves, we turn to Psalm 145. A song of ceaseless praise that will help us to praise God unceasingly. And the point of Psalm 145 is clear. We are to praise God now and always. We're to praise him faithfully and enthusiastically. If you look at Psalm 145, That opening superscription says, A song of praise of David. This is the last of David's psalms, most likely written toward the end of his life. This psalm is important because not only is it the capstone of David's praise, but it's also uh, really what starts this grand finale of praise at the end of the Psalms. Psalm 145 begins with a song of praise. And we see that in Psalm 146 through 150. Psalm 146 begins with praise the Lord. Psalm 147 begins with praise the Lord. 148, praise the Lord. 149, praise the Lord. And Psalm 150 begins and ends with praise the Lord. As we sang this morning, we are to praise the Lord. He is worthy of our praise. Praising God is what we as believers will do for the rest of eternity. Psalm 145 will help us to do that. That word psalm, it simply means praises. And what's so unique about Psalm 145 
is it is the only psalm with that title. In this entire worship hymnal for Israel, Psalm 145 is the only one titled a song of praise. It's a psalm of praise coming from a man whose heart is overflowing with worship. David wrote more psalms than anyone else. And we can understand why. 1 Samuel tells us that, that David was a talented musician. 1 Samuel tells us that David was a man after God's own heart. He experienced the pain of dark valleys and God's grace in leading him through that. And he experienced God showing him his glory. And as a result of his experiences, as a result of what he knows to be true about God, he praises him. Psalm 145 is his final song. Spurgeon called it David's crown jewel of praise. And Psalm 145 is a personal worship song. David's adoration here is, is carefully crafted to compel us to praise God daily. And so, may we this morning, as we look at David's song, may we take it as a model. May we aim at, at making our personal adoration and praise as much like David's as possible. Let us see this as a blueprint for our praise. May you and I this morning be convicted and motivated like David was to worship. May his worship be an example for our worship. Look at how David starts this psalm. Verses 1 and 2, David says, I will extol you, my God and King, and will bless your name forever and ever. Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. The theme seen in verses 1 and 2 is praise to God. Praising God because he is worthy. And look at Look at all the words that David uses to praise God. In verse 1, David will extol and bless. In verses 2 and 3, David will praise. In verse 4, David will commend. In verse 5, he'll meditate. In verse 6, he will declare. And in verse 7, he will pour forth. David is exhausting his vocabulary. He's trying to find every word that he can to illustrate how he worships God. Praising the Lord is the theme of this psalm. And the question is, what does that phrase mean to you and me? Praise the Lord. Is praise the Lord remind you of 
singing on Sunday is praise the Lord. The, the phrase you use when something good happens, when you find a parking spot, when the line at Chick-fil-A is short, it's closed on Sunday. Is praise the Lord simply a phrase you use in your Christian vocabulary? Is it just words with no real meaning attached to it? Or is praising the Lord mean more? Is it something that you do, something that you are characterized by? David says, I will extol you. I will bless you. He is determined and he is deliberate. For David, praising the Lord is not casual. It's not ritualistic. It's simply not praising God on Sunday. David's praise is throughout his life. And it springs out of his relationship with God. David here testifies of his devotion to his God by the pronoun my. He says, my God. God, you are my God. And it is because of this personal relationship that David has that he desires to praise him. Can you testify of your own personal devotion and worship to God each day? Yes, we're commanded to come together and worship on Sunday. Yes, it is good for us to meet throughout the week and worship God, but we are still to worship God daily as individual believers. David says in verse 2, Every day I will bless you and praise your name forever and ever. God is worthy to be praised and we as believers will praise him for our entire life. We're to praise him every day. And Psalm 145 is an acrostic psalm. That means that each verse in the Hebrew begins with a new letter. And so by the end of the psalm, the entire alphabet was used to praise God. It is praising God from A to Z. And what that did was it helped them to memorize and to meditate on the psalm. The Talmud, the, the book of religious Jewish law, told them that the Jews were to recite this psalm three times a day. They were to be reminded that God was worthy of their praise. We are to praise God, as David says in verse 2, every day. We're to praise him on the good days. When it's easy to forget him because everything is going according to our plan. We're to praise God on the bad days. When it's difficult to trust him. We're to praise God on the selfish days when all we want to do is think about ourselves. We're to praise God on the confusing days when it feels hard to praise him because of our current circumstances. David models that for us in this psalm. And the reason that he can do that, 
The reason that David can say, I will praise the Lord every day is because he knows his God. Because he thinks about his God. And if we are to praise God every day, we need to fill our minds with the truth about God. So that our hearts, that our mouths are filled with praise. And so this morning, as we look at Psalm 145, we will see four praiseworthy realities of our God that will compel us to ceaseless praise. To ceaseless praise. And the first is that God is great. God is great. And we see this in verses 3 through 6. David says in verse 3, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. So we praise God for his greatness. And that word great is incredibly overused. We say that a restaurant is great. We say that toothpaste is great. We say, hey, that vacuum cleaner, it works great. But David here is not using this contemporary usage of great. The word he uses actually speaks of physical size, something big and something large. But we know David is not talking about the size of God, because God is spirit. But by calling God great, David is talking about the great and the mighty works of God. And notice, before he tells you why God is great, he gives this caveat. He says, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised and his greatness is unsearchable. Before he talks about how great God is, before he explains to you that God is great, he wants to let us know that we'll never get to the bottom of his greatness. That his greatness is unsearchable. That his greatness is inexhaustible. That God is great. One of my favorite theologians is a man named John Owen. He's a pastor and a theologian and I have his works, basically a set of books that comprise everything that he's written. Takes up 23 volumes and it's more than 1,300 pages. Each page dedicated to exploring and explaining the greatness of God. But Owen's works still do not exhaust the greatness of God. David says God is great and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. Our minds will never comprehend how great our God is. And that's why David says in verse 1, we will praise God's name forever and ever. We will worship God for all eternity because we will never run out of reasons to praise him. His greatness is unsearchable. But the 
unsearchable greatness of God is not a deterrent to our study. We don't read that and say, well, I'll never get to the bottom of it, so why bother? No. It's a motivation. It compels us. We should hunger to search for his greatness daily. Each day there is a reason to praise God. His greatness is unsearchable. And that's why in verses 4 to 6, David says, One generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your wondrous works I will meditate. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds and I will declare your greatness. David here says, I will tell how great God is to future generations. And look at how David describes the greatness of God. In verse 4, it's God's mighty acts. In verse 5, it's God's glorious splendor and his wondrous works. In verse 6, it's God's awesome deeds. David says God is great and that gives us reason to praise him. And God is so great that we should tell the next generation. For Israel, this would mean reciting God's great acts, like sending the plagues on Egypt to redeem his people. Like parting the waters of the Red Sea so that Israel could walk on dry land. For us today, it's proclaiming God's greatness in his incredible act of sending Christ so that we will be saved from our sins. And his great works are not only found in scripture, right? David and throughout the Bible, you hear of David explain how great God is based on things that have happened in his life. And that's true of us. Has God done great things in your life? Then you have reason to praise. And not only that, you have reason to share this truth with others. And there is so much application in these verses. For someone like me, if you're young like me, these verses instruct you to pay attention to those in this room who are older than you, who have experienced the greatness of God, who know the greatness of God. If you're a parent, here we see the purpose of parenting, to raise children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord by declaring God's greatness. And for every believer in this room, to share his glory with the next generation. And what fuels this praise? Look at verse 5. David says, On the glorious splendor of your majesty and on your works, I will meditate. To meditate, it means to, to reflect, to, to ponder. One author defines it as to lovingly rehearse or go over something in your mind. We're to meditate on God. 
We're to put away the distractions and we are to meditate on the wonderful works of God. We have much to meditate on. God is great. And this is why every day we are to meditate on him. As David meditates, David's heart and mind are filled with praise. And as a result, he shares that truth with others. God is great. And not only that, God is good. Look at verses 7 to 10. Here we see the second praiseworthy reality of our God, and that is God is good. Just as we saw repetition in verses 3 through 6, David speaking of God's works and his acts and his deeds, we see a similar emphasis on God's goodness. Verse 7 speaks of his goodness. Verse 8 speaks of God's gracious and merciful character. It mentions his steadfast love. Verse 9 speaks of his mercy. And God's goodness is a good attribute. Verse 7 says that God is righteous. He is righteous and righteous to punish sin. But in verses 8 through 12, we see his goodness, that the Lord is gracious, verse 8, and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Here David quotes Exodus 34, 6, where God showed Moses his glory. Exodus 34, 6 is is one of the most, if not the most quoted verses in all of the Old Testament. And for good reason. Because in Exodus 34, 6, we see a clear and satisfactory description of the character and nature of God. God is gracious. And God is merciful. God does not deal with us as our sins deserve. Instead, he grants forgiveness and unmerited favor. And this goodness seen in his forgiveness should cause us to praise. You need a reason to praise God this morning? God is merciful to you. And he is gracious and our response to our salvation is seen in verse 7. We shall pour forth the fame of his abundant goodness. We can praise God because he is good. Not only that, he is slow to anger. God is patient. Rather than punishing immediately, God patiently waits for people to come to Christ. God is good. And that goodness is seen in his gracious and long-suffering character. God is good. And verse 9 says that God is good to all people. The Lord is good to all. 
and his mercy is over all that he has made. This is what theologians call common grace. That God shows his goodness to both believers and unbelievers. That he gives them food and rain and an opportunity to come to Christ. And like his greatness, his goodness must be the subject of our meditation every day, even during the bad days. Just as David had bad days, so in life we have bad days. Painful days. Hard days. David is not ignorant of the pain and reality of life. But he worships God even on the bad days because God is good. We are to praise him. We are to praise him on the bad days and on the hard days. On days that are are frustrating. On days when we are full of fear and pain because he is good. Because he is gracious and merciful. We have much reason to praise God. We praise him because he is great. We praise him because he is good. And then look at verses 11 to 13. The third praiseworthy reality is that God is glorious. Why does David praise God? Not only because he is great, not only because he is good, but because he is glorious. And we see this in David employing language about God's kingdom. That God is a glorious ruler. God and his kingdom are called glorious, powerful, and majestic. Verse 11 says, They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. God is powerful. His kingdom does not end. And understanding this reality, that God is glorious and reigns as king forever, should cause us to worship him should cause us, verse 11, to speak of the glory of his kingdom. Why? Because this king left the glory of of his throne. Because this king humbled himself to become a man, fully God and fully man, so that you and I could become citizens of his kingdom. God is infinitely glorious. As one author wrote, the greatness of God and the glorious nature of his kingdom ought to be proclaimed that all men may come to know how glorious and condescending our God is. That this king would humble himself to make us citizens of his kingdom. If you're using the ESV, you can see that the second half of verse 13 is in italics. It says, The Lord is faithful in all his words 
and kind in all his works. And if you remember, I said this is an acrostic psalm. Each verse starts with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. But there are 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. There are 21 verses in this psalm. A verse with the letter N is missing from most manuscripts. Some Bibles that you're reading out of might not even have that phrase. Others might have it as a footnote. And, and what happened was, is when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found, this verse appeared in those manuscripts. The N of the acrostic. The, the final verse to, to complete that pattern. And while some doubt whether or not that should be in Psalm 145, the statement is nevertheless affirmed elsewhere. God is faithful in all his words and kind in all his works. God is glorious. He is a king who is faithful to his promises. He is a king who is gloriously good. He is a king kind in all his works. And one day, he'll come back and right every wrong and inaugurate his kingdom. And because God is a great and glorious and good king, we have reason to praise him. But there's a final reason to praise God this morning. Not only is God great, not only is God good, not only is God glorious, but what I want us to focus on in the remainder of our time is that God is generous. The fourth and final praiseworthy reality that David gives us, the fourth, fourth characteristic that David gives us, a reason to praise God, is that he is generous. You see, not only is God a sovereign king who is lofty and exalted, more powerful than any person, more glorious than any king. He's also a God who cares. He's also a God who cares. Spurgeon said it this way, this same king who is glorious and great is also a king who condescends to lift up and hold up those who are apt to fall. And the truth of these verses are so important for us this morning. We need this truth today. You see, God is not indifferent to our struggles. This king stoops down low to help his people. He is a king that cares for you and me, and that should give us reason to praise him. Verse 14, David says, The Lord upholds all who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. God helps those who are falling or who have fallen. He raises them up. He holds them up. God has compassion on those who are overwhelmed by life. 
God cares for the downcast. So if you're here this morning and you're downcast, if you're stumbling, if you've been brought low by the pain of, of a trial, if you feel the burden, the weight of your sin, then what we see in verse 14 is that you must go to the one who can lift you up. In your struggle, you go to the one who can hold you up. The one who upholds those who are falling, who raises up those who have been brought low. In in this verse, see God's care for sinners. If you've been crushed by the weight of your sin, then, then cry to God who cares for those who have been brought low. Run to Christ and and seek his forgiveness because he will deal tenderly with you. We see in the Gospels that this is how Jesus interacted with sinners and sufferers. When Jesus saw those who were unclean, tax collectors and sinners, rather than running away from them, he ran towards them. He offered forgiveness and compassion. And see God's care for sufferers. God cares for those who are suffering. Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Friends, God understands our weakness. God understands your weakness. And even though Christ is now in heaven, he is just as open and tender in his embrace for your sin and for your suffering as he was in the Gospels. Run to Christ. Go to the one who upholds the fallen. Hebrews 4 says in verse 16, just the next verse, because he sympathizes with our weaknesses, we can go to him in prayer and find grace and mercy in time of need. We can go to God in prayer because he raises up those who have fallen. John Calvin said it this way, none will be disappointed who seek comfort from God in his affliction. None will be disappointed who seeks comfort from God in his affliction. So God cares for the lowly. But not only that, Look at verse 15. God also provides for those in need. He says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. God not only cares about our spiritual need, He cares about our physical need. 
And look at how he provides in verse 16. It says, you open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. God provides and he does so easily. He does so liberally. He satisfies the desire of every living thing. Why does he do this? Why does he act this way? Well, verse 17, the Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. We can rejoice and praise him because everything he does is righteous. Whatever he does is right. His deeds are never wrong. And for that reason, we can praise him. We can praise God for his generosity, for his tender care, for his loving embrace. Verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. He is near. He hears our prayers. And not only is he near to hear our prayers, but he is near enough to protect us. Look at verse 20. It says, The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. He is a protecting God. But notice that verse 19 says that he fulfills the desires of those who fear him. This protection, this salvation that this psalm talks about is for those who fear God. And that might seem odd to us. But in the Psalms, it describes the followers of God as those who love God and those who fear God. In verses 19 and 20, we see that the fear of God and the love of God are put in parallel. The author is, is drawing on the similarity you see, Christians are those who, who fear God. But we're not those who, who fear God in the sense of we fear his punishment. Rather, this is a kind of fear that has nothing to do with being afraid. It's a love that trembles because its object, the Lord, is overwhelmingly and incomparably incompar glorious. Is this the relationship you have with God? A love and a fear of God, not for punishment, but a love and a fear of God because he is glorious to you, because he has saved you. Can you say like David, God is my God and my king? And he concludes the psalm the same way he begins, with praise. Look at verse 21. It says, My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Notice that David is not content with merely him praising the Lord or with Israel praising the Lord. David wants all the world, you and I, to praise the Lord 
Verse 21 is a call to evangelism, to proclaim the, the greatness, the goodness, the glory, and the generosity of our God with everyone. John Piper famously says that, that worship or missions exist because worship doesn't. You could say it this way, missions exist because praise doesn't. The worship of God is why we send out ministry partners. The worship of God is why we plant churches. The worship of God is why our mission is to make, mature, and multiply disciples. Because like David, we want everyone to praise the Lord. The greatness and the goodness and the glory and generosity of God. Those four characteristics should cause us to praise God, to pour forth ceaseless praise every day of our lives. We have great reason to praise the Lord. He is good. He is kind. He is loving. We have a God who deserves our praise because of everything he does in our lives and because who he is revealed in his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do have many reasons to praise you. Lord, we are thankful that you are a great and a good God. Lord, I pray that these truths from your word would be meditated upon this week, that we would remind each other of who you are, that we can praise you no matter what we face, that you may receive praise and blessing from our mouths, from our hearts, each and every day. Amen. Now before you go, we do have the privilege this morning of welcoming a few people into membership here at Foothill Bible Church. And so at this time, I want to invite up Kristen Peel, Jacob Garcia, and Steve Froyo. If you guys could just come up here uh, to the front. In New Testament times, there was only one church in a city or a town. So it was really easy to tell who was a member of of a church and who wasn't. Today we've got numerous churches in our city and our towns and so formal church membership is, is a visible display of our commitment to the local church. And so this commitment is a commitment to the body here at Foothill to fulfill the one another's to fulfill what God commands of us as believers. And it's a commitment to submit to the elders of the church as they lovingly care and shepherd and lead. And so what I want to do now for these three individuals is I'm going to walk through a couple vows. And you guys can just uh, answer in the affirmative, we will. And then after that, I'm going to 
also give the congregation a few vows. And you can also answer in the affirmative because we are, as members of Foothill Bible Church, a family. A family to love and to care for one another. And that is what these commitments are. And so, to you three, in obedience to God's word, do you commit to living lives of holiness for the glory of Jesus Christ? Do you commit to loving the brothers and sisters at FBC and encouraging them in, in righteousness, confronting them in their sin and caring for their needs? Now for you as the congregation. Oh, one more. Sorry, I'm new, I'm new to this. This is what happens when you put in the second string. One more. Do you commit to following the leadership of the elders God has placed as watchers over your souls? Now, congregation, in obedience to God's word, do you commit to loving these brothers and sisters by encouraging them in righteousness, confronting them in their sin, and caring for their needs? And on behalf of the elders here at FBC, we do commit to lovingly shepherd your souls and for caring for you as God has called us to. Now, I, I do encourage you, if you haven't met these three, to come down after service and, and say hi to them, get to know them, care for them, and, and love on them. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for church membership. Lord, for the body of Christ that we have, a visible display of, of your praise being declared from generation to generation. The gospel being shared and sinners being saved because you are a good and gracious God. We do pray now, Lord, for, for these members, these new members, Lord, that you would allow them to integrate into the body, that, that we would come alongside them and all of us would grow in our love for you, our love for your word, and that we would all exercise the spiritual gifts that you have given us so that you may receive all glory and all praise. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.